So before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is November 18th, 2021, and my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm speaking via phone with Robert Bischoff. And where is your current location? Westfield, Indiana. And we are doing yes. an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. Just starting off then, when and where were you born? I was born in Batesville, Indiana in 1941. Okay. And what were your parents' names? Clifford and Mildred Bischoff, B-I-S-C-H-O-F-F. Okay. And where was your family from before Indiana? come from Germany. Oh, okay. Interesting. And my mother's side comes from Kentucky. Yeah, okay. Cool. All right. Uh, what were your parents' occupations? Uh, my dad was a farmer. He worked with the Soil and Water Conservation of Franklin County, and he was a political elected official for about uh, he was a township trustee for eight years, and then he was a county auditor for three terms, uh, running for his fourth term when he passed away in office. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Um, did you have any siblings growing up? Yes, I did. I had a twin sister. Her name was Betty. And she was involved in politics. I had a brother's name was Ron. And I had another sister by the name of Linda, who was also in politics. Wow, so your family had a lot of people in politics then. Yes, we were politically involved uh, in politics. Yeah, okay. Um, how would you describe your childhood? Very good childhood. Uh, grew up on a small farm in Cedar Grove, Indiana. Uh, we had milk cows. We had chickens. We had uh, pigs. Uh, just an agriculture uh, establishment that I grew up in. Uh, like any normal child, we had our responsibilities. We uh, we milked cows by hand, uh, my sister and me, and just learned a lot of things on the farm uh, that would be beneficial as we moved through life. Wow, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so who would you say were the most influential people in your childhood? Your parents? Uh, my, my parents and my, my twin sister, Betty. Okay. Uh, what understanding, if any, did you have about your family's political beliefs? Well, growing I up, believe, I believed, like my father did, that I grew up as a Democrat because Democrats uh, had federal programs that helped the, the needy, the uh, people that. Uh, needed help in government, and they were 
responsible for a lot of uh, uh, financial assistance for people that needed help. Yeah, okay. So you, I guess you felt interested in, in trying to help people. That was why you kind of got into politics then and became a Democrat. That's, and That's correct. Okay. Uh, what schools did you attend growing up? I grew up in a one-room school in Cedar Grove, Indiana. My dad was the township trustee. Back then, the township trustees were responsible for everything within that township. They, uh, my dad took care of, he had uh, four, three schools, all grade schools in, in his township. And uh, I was a member of the Cedar Grove School. We had six kids in my grade. It, it varied from anywhere from six to seven or eight. It depends uh, if some left or some moved in. One or two students moved in or one or two might have left and with their parents and moved to another uh, uh, place. Uh, just a, a real small school of eight grades. Mm. And I went all through those eight grades at Cedar Grove Elementary School. Okay, sure. Did you have any uh, favorite subjects? Yes, math was very, come very easy for me. I loved math. Great, okay. What views did you have about the state of Indiana as a child? Well, I just was proud that that I lived in the state of Indiana. I thought that uh, we had a lot of plus advantages to live in the state of Indiana. That was my home, and I was always very supportive of, uh, of any of the projects, programs that were coming out of the state of Indiana. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so... After you graduated from high school, what did you do next? I uh, got a job at Seagram's Distillery in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. It was a hard, it was the largest distillery in the, in the United States or in the world. Okay. Interesting. And um, how long did you work there for? Forty years. Wow. Okay. So. You kept that job right out of high school for a long time then. Right. I, I started there when I was, I think I just turned 18. And I graduated from high school at, when I was 17. Mm -hmm. I was very young. And then I worked on the family farm for till I got a job at Seagram's uh, when I was 18 years old. Wow. So when you got that job, I guess, did, were you ever considering, like, trying to go to college at all or anything? Or you just felt like that was, you already found the, the path that you needed to be successful? Well, I really thought about going to college. But to have such a great job, it really paid good money. Yeah. It was a large distillery. And 
I was making more money than anybody that was graduating from college. Right. <laughs> uh, that I really felt that I found a foundation there that was going to be very helpful sure. for me from the monetary aspect. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Obviously, most people go to college to get a good paying job. So if you already have one, there's kind of defeats but, the point. Yeah. <laughs> and then one thing at that distillery, uh, we didn't work the year round because there was a, a time there where around the Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, the holidays, there was a, a tremendous demand for alcohol, especially on the, on the West Coast. So I would be laid off some, but when I was laid off, then I'd work on the family farm. Oh. So it all worked out great. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So you had to have a backup in case there was ever yes. an issue. Yes, I always had a backup. Yeah, okay. Um, and then I worked, I, worked at, I worked at another place called, uh, uh, it was in Cincinnati, Ohio, but it was a night job. And I really didn't like that because I played a lot of uh, sports, mm. and then I couldn't participate that in them in the uh, uh, like because all the games were of the night. Yeah, yeah. So then, so then I decided to quit there and just stayed with my original job at Seagrams and my working on the family farm. Sure. Yeah. No, I understand. Um. So, when did you get married? I got married in 1971. Okay. And how many children did you end up having? Uh, three children. Okay. I think I got married in 1970. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. okay. I won't Holy be upset. <laughs> All right. All right. No worries. That's fine. Okay. Um, I had three children, Brian, Julie, and Jenny. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, so when did you first start becoming more seriously involved in politics as an adult? Well, can I just back up a little bit? Yes. In, in high school, I really enjoyed government. Okay. All about elected positions, terms of, of state senators, U.S. senators, representatives, congressmen, county elected offices, what their responsibilities was, what their duties was. And that's, I just really uh, felt like that was part of my life. Yeah, sure. And so I guess you wanted to uh, pursue that part of your life so you can be, you know, so that can be, yes, continue I, to be part of your life outside of school, I guess. Yes. That was always a goal of mine because my daughter, we grew, we grew up in a political environment. Right. Because my dad was like a Sid Township trustee and around the dinner table every night, that was a huge issue that always come up at the uh, dinner table, uh, you know, how schools were doing, uh, all the responsibilities of the trustee. And then my father then decided to run for a county office 
and his first try, he was defeated by like a hundred votes. Oh, okay. And then it's close. Yeah. It it was, you know, nothing comes easy in life. So then he ran again. I think maybe two years later, and he was elected as a county auditor in Franklin County. And then I got to listen to all the county issues, all the planning, zoning, all the issues that, that affect people in that county. Right, okay. And so that kind of got you started then. Uh, yes, just by the conversation with the family of, of a night. But I really had an interest in, in government. Right. And so when did you start pursuing that interest in government as an adult? Probably I played a lot of softball. Uh, that's one reason I always wanted to work days. Uh, we won the world championship in softball. We were the metro champions in Cincinnati. I had a family. Uh, my children was born in 1971, 1971, 1973, and 75. After we won the world, I got out of softball, and then I got interested in, I moved, I got married, I moved to uh, uh, Dearborn County, and then I was ran as a precinct committeeman, and I was elected, and then probably in about 1975, 74, 75 in there, uh, I ran for county chair, and I was elected county chair of Dearborn County, and that was a big office at that time. Yeah, okay. Interesting, all right. And so, when did you decide that you were wanting to run for the General Assembly? Well, what happened was, when I was the county chair, our Indiana state senator, Mr. Ulrich, passed away in office. And just a year before... In 76, I think it was, 1976, they passed legislation at the state level that precinct committeemen would fill all vacancies within county government and state government. Okay. And so I was in a position then to have a strong voice on who filled those vacancies and be in the county chair. I think we had like uh, 35 precinct committeemen. Uh, that was a lot of support. I worked hard as, as county chair to try to put the local party together and be a very strong uh, party for the Democrat Party. Yeah. And by just being involved and being that influential in uh, my party, give me a strong base to run for precinct committeeman in 19 or run for state senator in 1977 although that was filled by the precinct committeeman okay yeah all right and so let's see 
When were you first elected to the Indiana General Assembly? 1977. I filled the... Uh, vacancy to the late senator then. There was parts or all of nine counties in southeastern Indiana when I won that special election. Okay. And so before that, you had run for the General Assembly before, though, correct? No. No. Okay. No. That was the first time. Okay. Right. I never had a political office. Okay. That was my first political office a state senator. That was a huge job yeah. for never having any uh, uh, duty as, as a uh, uh, elected official. Okay. Interesting. All right. And so what made you decide to run? Well, I had a lot of support from my precinct committeemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were the biggest county uh, in the uh, 43rd Senatorial District, and uh, I just thought it was a great opportunity to see uh, if I decided to run, and I did decide to run uh, to fill that vacancy that I would have a good chance of winning that the state representative from that area ran, and the guy that ran against Mr. Ulrich in the primary in, I think, maybe 74. He, there was three of us in that special election race. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So, uh, basically, you, you knew local politicians in your area, but you had never been a political representative of any kind until you ran for the General Assembly? Well, I was the county chair. Okay, county chair, right, okay. Yeah, I was precinct commandment county chair, but I never held a political elected office. Yeah, okay. Interesting. And so that kind of, I guess, was your gateway to go from the county chair position to run for the General Assembly. Um, That's correct. Were there any key issues or legislation that you were focused on in your campaign for the General Assembly? Not really. You know, it's been many, many years ago. Sure. I talked about the need of more uh, institutions for younger people to attend a, a college and get a better degree. In, in my uh, senatorial district, there wasn't any institutions of higher learning. Okay. And I talked about that, and then we'll talk about that later, how Ivy Tech, and then I passed a contract for pace, space program that was very uh, supportive of getting young people or anyone that wanted to advance their education to get a college degree in my area. Yeah, okay. Sure. Um when you were running for the General Assembly, were there any uh, political figures that you looked up to that kind of influenced your political outlook at all? Well, my dad, because he was a, well, wait a minute. Was Yeah, my dad was elected. Of, no, wait a minute. My dad passed away, but I looked up to my dad because mm-hmm. he was involved in, in the political arena. And I looked up to the congressman, Lee Hamilton. 
Okay. I don't know if you ever remember him, but he was a very strong, influential leader in uh, the ninth congressional district. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, did you have a campaign strategy at all when you were running? Oh, yeah. I went out and uh, saw every precinct committeeman in parts or all of nine counties, uh, informed them that I thought that I could really be a strong voice for him in Indianapolis, uh, that I would listen to their voices and try to carry those messages to the Indiana General Assembly and make sure that they had good representation. Okay. So you went straight to some of the, I guess, the local leaders yes. in politics. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And, and I assume that your strategy then was that if you talk to those people and they support you, then they'll tell their constituents and the people in the town, um, and they will also support you, I guess? Well, some of them did and some of them did Right, but, uh, right. It was, uh, it was quite a uh, learning experience. Yeah. Do you remember your main opponent in your election? Uh, well, for the state senate seat, it was Ed Goble. Okay. It took four ballots before we come up with a winner. There was rules and regulations. Yeah. And I won it on the fourth ballot. Wow, okay. I beat the representative. Yeah. But you had to have, like, two-thirds of the vote until you were the winner. Sure, okay. And then they, they dropped out until, until uh, we, we had a winner. Yeah. Uh, what was most important to you as a candidate? Just to be a strong voice mm -hmm. for an area that never, we were sort of the forgotten area of the state way down here in southeastern Indiana. Yeah. And I just felt that we had to have a stronger voice to be uh, more influential in getting more money for education, uh, more money for local roads, just the uh, issues that had an impact upon your constituents day in and day out life. Right, sure. What, what did you think of the election process? Did it seem like a good process or could it have been improved? No, I thought it was a good way to fill vacancies. Yeah. In the past, before the Indiana General Assembly passed the legislation in 1976, the governor filled all those vacancies. Oh. This gave the precinct committeement the opportunity to pick uh, whoever they thought was the best person to fulfill that job instead of the governor. Okay, yeah, I understand. Then we'll probably want to get into, uh, then I was defeated in 1978 for that Senate seat mm. when I had to run, when I had to run uh, with all the people, okay? Yeah. And I was defeated by 300 votes and it was a very hard-fought election. 
Like I said, it was in parts or all of nine counties. A gentleman by the name of Johnny Nugent beat me. He put a lot of, a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of money into the race. And I never had any political experience at all. Yeah. And uh, he was a county commissioner for eight years, a Republican here in Durban County. And he uh, had a tractor business where he sold Massey Ferguson tractors. So he out, so his reach was out long distance from where he lived in Lawrenceburg. Yeah. So he had really good name recognition, and he was a good person, too. Yeah, okay. And then I lost that election in 78. In 1980, the representative for my area, who did not run to try to fill the vacancy Senate seat, uh, got involved in an issue uh, with shoplifting. Wow. So he decided to never, he decided not to run for that state representative position. Then in 1980, it come open. So then I filed as a Democrat to run for that. And I was successful in that primary election. I had two other opponents because it was an open seat. And then I won in that fall. So that was my first elected position by the public right okay wow interesting um so how did it feel when you were i guess what was it like getting elected the first time after being chosen by the precinct committeemen and then versus getting elected by the people for the house well, of representatives it just well, it was more people had a decision on making who would be who would be their representative, but I went through that race as a Senate yeah. candidate. Yeah. So I knew I had a lot of support when you only lose an election when there's parts or all of nine counties, only three hundred votes. I knew I had a lot, a lot of support. There was some Pretty large. There was like nine counties. They were Dearborn, uh, Ohio, Ripley, Switzerland, Franklin, Jennings, Fayette, uh, Union, uh, Jefferson. I think that was nine counties. The county that, when I lost the Senate race, was Union County, a little county way up north from where the district was. I figured I would lose it. It was a strong Republican county by 500 votes, and I lost it by 850 votes. Wow. And that's the one that won it for my opponent at that time. But uh, he was a farmer, and that was a farm area, and I think he sold a lot of tractors up in there. Yeah, okay. Sure. And But otherwise, I ran really well. Uh, throughout, he was elected a county commissioner in Dearborn County, which was a Democrat county, and he was a Republican. He was elected two terms in that county before he ran for the state senate seat. Okay, yeah. 
So, and then I was elected in 1980, and then I served the uh, people from the, let's see, it was the 68th House District, I think, for 30 years in that seat. Okay. Uh, how did your campaign strategies change throughout your political career? Well, it depended on what the issues were. Yeah. Uh, my issues here was always uh, education. Uh, I knew that we never had any higher institutions for learning in, in this area here and that I needed to come up with some kind of program that would give our people the same opportunity that any other child had in the state of Indiana to advance their education. Yeah. And I come up with, with, with the Department of Education a project called uh, Contract for Space. It left any child in my house district to either go to the University of Cincinnati, Cincinnati State College, and there was one more college there, and then in return, they, some of their students could come to Ivy Tech in, in my area here in southeastern Indiana. Hmm. And I put a lot of emphasis on Ivy Tech yeah. uh, to build that uh, up to a higher level that people or anybody that wanted to advance their education could get a two-year degree here from an Ivy Tech institution. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, why were why was there a, a deal with schools in Ohio versus uh, other schools in Indiana then between Ivy Tech and stuff? Yeah, because there was institutions of higher learning there. Okay. We didn't we didn't have nothing here. Oh, okay. The thing close was Hanover College in Jefferson County, and we just didn't have anything here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I understand. Okay. So we had those institutions there, and as long as we, we worked a deal out through the Department of Education in the state of Indiana with the Department of Education in the state of Ohio. Yeah. And that's how we come up with that. Yeah, okay. Cool. And we, we put in about, uh, oh, it was over a million dollars every year in the budget so that we could that money we could use to send our kids to those institutions of higher learning in Ohio. Yeah, all right, sure. So that was a big, big job to get that into the budget. Yeah, I bet, I bet. So that was things that was very uh, significant in my uh, longevity as a state representative. Yeah. Sure. Um, what were your expectations for the legislative process when you first got elected into the Indiana General Assembly? Well, I knew it would be a, a lot of work. I knew that I'd have to listen to my constituents and try to separate what I thought was in the best interest and 
you know how people are. They've got opinions about everything. Yeah. And you'd have to try to see what you felt was going to be helpful uh, for your constituency. Yeah. Okay. So how did you learn the ins and outs of state politics? Uh, just by going to Indianapolis, being a state senator, serving, I, I served one year in the Senate then, see, in 1978, mm -hmm. I got to, we have a long and a short session in the state of Indiana, and that was the year for the short session, so I got to represent the people in the Senate for that one year. So that was a real educational prog uh, program for me. Yeah. All right. So that's that's where I learned, you know, how Bill, well, I learned that all in high school, you know, how Bill becomes law and yeah. all that. But then I was right there and I was part of the system as an individual. Sure. All right. Um do you remember the first day that you walked into the state house as an elected official? Yes, I do. Yeah. First time I ever, first time I ever walked into the state house. And what were you thinking? Wow, do I really know what I'm getting into? Yeah. <laughs> I had some very mixed emotions. Yeah. Sure. Uh, but we had a staff, and I always remember I met with people that was assigned to me to help me and they were so helpful to let me to help me do things to put letters together and by that time I was getting a lot of uh, letters or phone calls from people to see what I could do on certain issues and with their help and their leadership uh, that was so beneficial to me that it just was like, I can do this. Yeah. I, I can get this done. Sure. So who were your main political mentors in, in the General Assembly? Well, I can't even remember their names. They were staff people. Okay. I had a state senator from uh, south of me uh, that, that helped me, was assigned to me in the Senate that would help me with issues and help me understand uh, what the issues were all about, what impact they would have on my my geographical area, and uh, people like that. I can't even think of his name now. That's been a long time ago. Yeah. That's been 40 years ago. But he was very helpful. And just going to the caucuses, and listen to the leadership there. There was uh, there was excellent leadership there. Okay. Um, so, how did you know the needs and wants of your constituents when you were serving in the general assembly? Well, I send out surveys. Uh, what what was some of the most important issues, and I always got a great return from people asking or uh, supporting my questionnaires and informing me what their 
biggest issue was for that legislative session. So I got an idea of what my people felt that I should be working on when I'm in session, uh, carrying my voices to Indianapolis to represent my constituency. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember the first bill that you ever sponsored in the General Assembly? Uh, you know, I think it was something to do with elections. Uh, and I can't remember, can't remember what it was, but I know that, uh, I don't think it ever became law. Okay. Uh, but it was it was a start. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. You're building towards something. And... Right, right. But then as I got more seniority in the Senate or in the House, I was the sponsor of a lot of huge uh, legislation. I probably passed hundreds of bills in my longevity as a state representative. And some of the other big ones were when we uh, passed legislation for riverboats here in the state of Indiana, I worked very hard. I got three riverboats in my area that I represented out of the 10 riverboats in the state of Indiana. They were one in, one in Lawrenceburg in Dearborn County, one in Rising Sun in Ohio County, and one in Switzerland County in, in uh, uh, well, it, it's real close to BB, okay? Yeah. And that was just a huge impact upon my people here, all the jobs it brought, all the uh, economic development, all the financial aid to a lot of, to education, mm -hmm. to uh, just, it probably uh, produced, probably, I would say, six eight thousand jobs those three riverboats yeah so so that really improved the quality of life uh here in my house district right and and by riverboats you mean like the riverboat casinos and stuff yes yeah yes mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i was there when that all happened and i was very supportive of it and i did have opposition yeah some, some people thought it would bring uh, not good things for the area, but I felt very strongly that the economics of it would outweigh the negative things. Yeah. So what were people concerned about, like, just, like, corruption coming to the area? Sure. Yeah. Corruption, uh, just people moving into our geographical area that was there to just try to lure some of the benefits from all the revenue that was being generated. Yeah. Uh, just things that's not in the best interest for a lot of people. Sure. Especially Christians that thought it would bring negative things. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Um, And how intense were those debates then to get the the casino legislation? Very intense. Very, very. It, uh, 
it took us two or three general assemblies before that ever become a a <clears throat> passed legislation in the state of Indiana. <clears throat> and there was so much debate on that. You would never believe it and how long of hours that we put in to try to satisfy the left and the right of that issue. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was, I'll remember, we just worked hours and hours. Committee work, House floor work, Senate bill, you know, it'd have to move through the House or Senate. And it took a long time. It was like a five-year uh, until it became realistic. Yeah, okay. What were the regular interactions like between uh, the different members of the General Assembly? Mixed. It was very close vote. It, it only passed by a couple votes. Yeah. Uh, it just depended on the area that you represented. People that had good jobs uh, in their areas, uh, they didn't think we needed it. But like a area like mine, that was just really a a area that there wasn't any economic development. I knew that the economics of that, the jobs it would bring, the revenue it would bring in, would be so helpful because uh, people need jobs if they're going to be successful. And that was the, the part that was so interesting. Yeah. Sure. Um, how how well did the different members of the General Assembly get along throughout your career there? Well, you know, you get you get a hundred members in the House and fifty in the Senate, and you're always going to have some people that don't care for one another, and I don't know what causes that rift, but. It's always there. That's part of an element that comes with people. Yeah. And even within your own party, there's people that maybe just don't like your actions or how you go about things. Sure. Or what you say or things like that. So there's always difference of opinions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what were the big differences between the House and Senate? The House was a people's house, and the Senate was more of a, well, there was only 50 members there, and they represented lots larger districts than what we did in the House, twice as big. You only had, you had 50 Senate seats and 100 House seats, so yeah. that, the House was more of a people's house. Yeah. Uh, that's the best way I can describe it. Were, did the, I've, I've heard from talking to other legislators that there were sort of differences in, in how uh, those legislative bodies behaved. Um, did you pick up on any differences like that? Yes, yes, absolutely. The Senate was more formal. The House was more open. Okay, got it. Uh, that's the best way I could describe it. Yeah. So how would you go about getting support for your legislative ideas? 
by speaking to groups of people, uh, contacting, being very visible at, at functions, regardless whatever it is, where there's a group of people, uh, you want to be there, you want to talk about the issues, you want to talk about what your goals are, you want to talk about how they could help uh, in your geographical area, and we're sending out a questionnaire. I send out tons of questionnaires and the feedback, then I would tally them up and see what the, the most demanding issue was with the people that responded to my questionnaire. Yeah, okay. Sure. When voting was happening in the General Assembly on uh, specific legislation, did you usually have a pretty good idea of how people would vote prior to voting? Yeah, after you got some time there. Yeah. You knew who the conservative legislators was. You knew who the ones were uh, were more, uh, I'm, I'm searching for a word there, more uh, uh, liberal. There I found it. Yeah, more liberal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those... Those sort of go with legislators. Right. Yeah, you pick that up real quick. Now, you know, you got to have some good instincts to to be there because there's a lot of sharp people there. Yeah. How influential was party leadership when it came to legislation? Uh, pretty, pretty influential. It depends if you had the governor or not. If uh, to my long time uh, longevity there, I think I served under three or four governors: Evan By for two terms, Frank O'Bannon for two terms. Uh, let me see. There was another one there. Uh, if your governor feels very strongly about an issue, it's wise not to vote against him. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you catch on real quick with that, Ben. Yeah. Did you uh, ever go against party leadership at all? Uh, yes, I did a couple times, yes. Okay, and why was that? Yeah. Well, because I felt that it was not in the best interest of my uh, of the people that I represented. Yeah. Did you get in trouble for that at all, or? Well, they uh, watched those voting records very close, and they left you know that they felt that that wasn't their position, and that uh, they would really like you to think about that vote that you cast. Uh, yeah, they they were very visible. They. Uh, they left you know when you didn't support their position, and even the the leadership in the uh, in in the house. Uh, Mike Phillips was our speaker for many years. Great, great leader. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just difference of opinion sometimes, and I can't think of some what some of those issues were. But in my mind, I felt very strongly that that. 
what the party's position was in my position. Yeah. But I didn't do it very often, I can tell you that right now. Right, right. Uh, I really had have strong evidence that I felt that that would be detrimental to my my uh, constituency that I represented. Yeah, okay. That's a good question. So, do, did you witness people who, who, like, went against party leadership too much that got kind of in trouble for it then, or? Oh, yeah, yeah. They won't support you in campaigns, and they have a huge impact <laughs> yeah. upon money that comes into your campaigns. Absolutely. Do you think that party leadership can have too much influence, or do you think it makes sense for them to have uh, that much power on people's campaigns and... It depends on who the party leaders are. Okay. Uh, some people, some of the leaders were very strongly. They felt that that was the position, the only position, and there wasn't another position. Now, some people were more understanding. They yeah. realized that maybe in the best interest for you to come back and be part of our caucus uh, to get the majority, then you were doing to do that was... Probably in your best interest. Yeah. Okay? Sure. Um, how often would you say you had to work with the other party to get legislation done? Lots, lots of times. I worked very closely with the other side. I, I was a very conservative legislator. I grew up that way. I run my whole life being very conservative taken a lot of value in, in a dollar and I uh, just that's the way I was I, I spent state money like it was my own money Yeah, I wanted to know how productive it would be if it's in the best interest I didn't like to go in debt for nothing and of course in the state of Indiana we were not allowed to go into debt but even back home with projects uh, that that are local projects, I never wanted to go into huge debt for them. Right, yeah, understandable. Uh, how well did Democrats and Republicans get along throughout your time in the General Assembly? Well, I think there's, there's some issues there. The... Usually the, the Republicans are lots more conservative than, than the Democrats, but why I got along so good, because I was very conservative with the other side of the aisle. Yeah. Now the Democrats are lots more liberal. Right. Okay. Was it, did you see, over time when you served, because you served from the 70s to the, I guess you served into the, like 2010 or so. Right, right. Uh, uh, did you see a change in, in the interactions between Democrats and Republicans? Yes, depend on their leadership. Okay. Yeah, there was always change. It never, yeah, it always moved one way or the other somewhat. Yeah. Do you think it became more polarized at all, or was it about the same throughout your service? No, I think it become more polarized. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Is this country moved forward? Mm -hmm. I think there was more emphasis put on parties 
like there is now than what there was when I started. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. Uh, how did your legislative service affect your family life? Well, it had an impact. I was gone a lot. Yeah. Uh, lots of uh, months in Indianapolis, our long session. We were there from early in January until uh, end of April. Yeah. So my wife had to take care of the all the issues back home. Uh, three children. My children was all young when I started. And she done a wonderful job of raising the children. Of course, I was home on weekends, but still, that, that father was not there during the week. And uh, tremendous more responsibility for your for your wife, like it was for my wife. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a good family, you, you really need two parents there. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, I tried to speak to my wife every day on the phone, maybe a couple times, and see what the issues were back home, or if anybody was sick, or not feeling good, or what the issues were in school, or just so many issues when you talk about that surface in your house. Yeah. But no, yeah, it was a, it was a lot of responsibility, and I can, I can never be thankful enough for my wife, the great job she done, but I thoroughly enjoyed being a legislator, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it, and I think that's why I was successful. I always would try to be at every function. I don't care how many people was there. If it was a gathering of people, I wanted to be visible. Right. And I think, and I think the, my, my people in my area knew that. Yeah. That, that Bob Bischoff would, if there's something going on, he'll be there to listen and to talk and to support an issue. Sure. Um, let's see, what would you say was the most controversial legislative issue during your time in the General Assembly? Riverboats. Riverboats, right, yeah. Absolutely. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was a very sensitive issue. Yeah. Never forget the debate on it. It was, <laughs> it was tough. Yeah, yeah. Um, would you say the riverboat issue was the one that you had to spend the most time on during your career? Well, probably, you know, once it became, came law, then it sort of, it wasn't as much tension as what it was when we was working on it. Yeah. Because the media, media took a lot of, uh. They wrote a lot of stories about it, okay? Okay. There was a lot of, uh, to try to inform the, the, uh, the people what was happening. Uh, I was also the sponsor of the Heritage Trust Fund, which was a great program, and it's still in existence today in the state of Indiana, that we go out and expand our 
our state parks, our uh, money from our license plates to go to projects related to natural resources. Yeah. And we, we just got tons of money in that today. And our probably our, our uh, heritage trust projects have just grown immensely. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Um, let's see. Now, it seems like there is a lot of legislation that you worked on during your career that was connected to the environment. Um, would you say that's accurate? No, I wasn't. I wasn't that involved in in environmental. Okay. I never did serve on any of those those committees. Interesting. Okay, so. I, then I want to ask you a couple questions about about that then because uh, so I was doing some some research on you and looking through some old newspapers. Um, I saw some stuff come up about like clean water legislation. Do you remember anything like that? Yeah, I was always supportive of. See, I served on natural resources. Oh, okay. And that's why that there's a ton of legislation comes through natural resources yeah that's what it seems like and i chaired that many a times when we were the majority party i chaired it and when you're chair then you control that committee you hear whatever bills you want to hear yeah you don't want to so it's a powerful position Mm -hmm. so and i can't remember there's every legislative session short and long there was probably 50 bills would get assigned to your committee. Yeah, sure. And you you would decide if you felt that they had any merit or not. Okay. That I can't remember yeah. specifically, but... Okay. Yeah, you get all your hunting legislation, all your yeah. natural resources, water, uh, all those issues come through natural resources. Sure. Um, well, let's see. There are some other... Uh piece of legislation that I saw sort of pop up um, and you were mentioned in the newspaper a little bit uh, I, I guess at least in the debates about them um, do you remember uh, a bill that would keep the polls open until 8 p.m. yeah okay what was what was happening at the time and, and what sort of spawned this legislation I think the reason that legislation surfaced was because there was lines of voters that wasn't getting to vote. Okay. And I supported expanding those hours that you could vote. Because I wanted to make sure that everybody's vote counted. But right. On the other side of the issue, all the poll workers, a lot of the candidates wanted to get it over with. You know what I mean? Yeah. They didn't, poll workers didn't want to extend it for another two hours and extend our day another two hours. So they were all, they were not in favor of it. But my position was to make sure that everybody got to cast their vote. Yeah, sure. Okay, that makes sense. Let's see. There's another one that I saw pop up that uh, there would make it so there's a two-year limit on welfare benefits and would not allow for uh, driving privileges for fathers who didn't pay child support? Yeah, 
I, I think I supported that. Yeah, okay. Do you remember anything about the, the debates about that bill or, or what was happening? I, I don't. 30 years. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. You remember it at the time, you know, within a couple of years, but then yeah. it all fades away with all your other interactions of life. Yeah. No, no worries. Uh, uh, I understand. I'm more just mentioning it just to see if anything, you know, pops up in your head at all about it. Right. Um, it's actually right. funny that the title of the of the news article uh, regarding regarding that bill was restrictions on deadbeat dads. That's what, so. Yeah. That's <laughs> kind of interesting. We, we should do away with deadbeat jobs. <laughs> yeah. If the father of some children, then they should be responsible. Right, right. Um, let's see. So thinking now a little bit about uh, reflecting on your career in the General Assembly, uh, when did you leave the General Assembly and why? 2010, I was defeated. Okay. And, and that's the reason I left. And you just felt, I guess, you didn't want to run again then? No, no. I was getting up in age, and uh, I just didn't want to, you know, I was there so long, and people were so good to me. I had a lot of tough races. My my district was pretty strong Republican as the years advanced. Yeah. Uh, this district is solid Republican nowadays, and it was really strong Republican then. Yeah, yeah. So, and wow. So I, I really had to put a lot of effort, a lot of energy, and a lot of time into my my seat. Yeah. I mean, it, it's none of them like you take them for granted. Right, right. I had to be working every day on issues, trying to help people out. I, I was I was a legislator that when I got a call, and believe me as a legislator, when you do good things, that spreads in a community. Yeah. And and then people will call you and say, Can you help me or what can I do or just anything to try to help them through a difficult time. Sure. And some of them are ridiculous. You can't, but you still got to be <laughs> yeah. professional. You got to let them know that that would be an issue that would be very hard to try to to help them on. Right. And and that surfaces too. Yeah. No, I understand. That makes sense. Um, do you remember how well do you remember the 1988 session? Uh, was that the 50-50 split? Yeah. It yeah. Was. Yep. Yeah. What was it like? Uh, well, it was different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the committee chairs, uh, there was a committee chair on each uh, committee, and they rotated their days. Yeah. And, like, if we met a couple times a week, then one time the Democrat would chair it, the next time was the Republican would chair it. So it took a really... Uh, you had to have an issue that was going to uh, be supportive from both sides. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it wasn't going to go anywhere. Did you think that was good or bad for government? It wasn't bad. It made good government. There wasn't okay. any bad legislation passed. Yeah. Okay. So Everybody I'm... had a strong 
voice in it, and when you have a strong voice, usually the best will come out of it. Yeah. So basically, it kind of forced uh, compromises that everyone could uh, kind of go along with then? Correct. I think we had two ties in the Indiana General Assembly since when I was there. Yeah. In the 30, 32 years. And it, it was a different, different uh, animal. Yeah. Sure. Um, so how would you summarize your time overall as a state legislator? Enjoyable. Okay. I, uh, it was just a, something that I enjoyed so much. It was, I was so thankful after every election that I would get to go to Indianapolis and be a voice for my constituency. I, uh, I was so proud of myself. Yeah. The thing that I was representing the people the way they wanted to be represented. Right, right. Uh, and you got to, that's the way it's got to be, otherwise they're going to vote you out. Yeah. And I, I had some tough races. It was a it was a Republican district, and uh, I had to work very very hard. But I knew every day, every day when I got up, that I had to address this issue or that issue or call that person and see what, how we could address that, and just tons of issues. You just wouldn't believe all the calls you get. Yeah, yeah. And and I was very visible. I mean, I, like I said, I was at everything. If there was a press conference, I was there. Right. People knew, knew my position on an issue, unless it was an issue that was very debatable. But I, I was up front. I left them know where I was at. Sure. Uh, do you have a favorite story from your time as a legislator? Not, not really. Okay. No. Nope. No worries. <laughs> I just, I just, there's. I would have to give that a lot of thought to come up with a favorite. No, no problem. Okay. All right. All right. Um, what lessons, if any, did you learn from your time in the General Assembly? Honesty, integrity. Okay. Always be honest. Yeah. Because. If you tell something that's not truthful, you'll have to tell 10 more. Sure. Or try to get out of it, and it gets nothing but worse. So be honest. Tell yeah. the people what you know from your eyes. Yeah, okay. Do you have any... What? Go ahead. And I think that goes a long way in life. Sure. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Did you have any regrets as a legislator? <clears throat> I, I, any regrets? Wish that I would have had a stronger Democrat constituency, but yeah, <laughs> I didn't have that. So right, that just means how hard you got to work if you really, if you really like the job and you really want to. Be successful. Look at 
you got to work. Yeah, yeah. And that's what makes you successful. What was your proudest moment as a legislator? Oh, there was a lot of proud moments. Every year, probably my proudest moment was to get legislation through that I either authored or sponsored. Yeah. Because I was the one, if it was a Senate bill, then you're the author. And I really didn't want to leave the people down in the Senate to send me the bill. If it was a House bill, I was a sponsor. And I wanted to make sure I moved it over to the Senate. So those were very proud moments. Yeah, yeah, I bet. What advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? Always be honest with your constituency. Yeah. Uh, If you really want the job, take the time it takes to, to represent the people. Just don't take the job just to be, have a, a position. Yeah. Uh, that would be my advice. Sure. What, in your, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Representing people. Yeah, okay. What would you say the public does not know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it operates? That there's a lot of friendships there. A lot of people think when you go to Indianapolis, like there's one side of Democrats and one side of Republicans and they don't get along. That's not true. There's a lot of wonderful relationships on both sides of the aisles. Yeah. And okay. I, I can say that I had a lot of wonderful relationships with both sides of the aisle and in the Senate, too. How influential would you say uh, money was in politics and sort of shaping legislation? Well, like from lobbyists or lobbyist influence, yeah. even. Yeah, money. Money is a key factor with legislation, especially if it's an issue related to the Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. If it's an issue related to maybe uh, an issue that the Democrats think very strongly about. Uh, yeah, money has a huge factor. What Did money play an increasing role in sort of uh, running a successful campaign as you went on throughout your career in the General Assembly? That's, absolutely. You usually, if you were, if you were a targeted candidate, there was a lot of money come after you. Wow. Uh, and it, they would they would get the money from all over the state, from different groups, and then they would bring it to your district. And, uh, yeah, you, you know when you're targeted or not. Yeah, you guess you notice, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a lot of nasty brochures go out. Wow. But, again, you... People look at you, what what you've been, and what how you've represented the uh, the people, 
have you been professional? Mm-hmm. Have you been right on the issues for for the district that you represent? Yeah. I think that's I think that's the questions that people answer. Are, are yes, they do answer. Do you think that sort of the money that was thrown against you during uh, campaigns? Do you think that that was uh, very impactful, or do you think that a lot of people didn't really pay attention to it? I'm just curious how successful you think those kind of uh, campaign tactics are in terms of funding lots of brochures against other candidates and stuff. They they are very impactful. Okay. Wow. They uh, they they have an impact upon that election. Yeah. Uh, when you have people that's not fully committed to you. It'll give them leverage. It'll give them speaking power to say, well, that's what the kind of person I think he, he was or she was. Uh, it just brings debate. Yeah. Okay. Um, how influential was uh, gerrymandering throughout your service in the General Assembly and shaping sort of the chances of getting elected? I was very, very lucky. Okay. We, I went through three redistrictings in my time frame. In 1981, my district was strong Democrats, so they never tried to do anything to hurt me. Okay. In 91, we were the majority leader. We were the majority party, so we drew the maps. In uh, 2001, we were the majority party. So all three times in the 30 years, well, how? We, we were the majority party out of two of those, two out of those 20 years, one time, in 1981, my district was Democrat, and there wasn't much they could do about it, so they just sort of left it the way it was. Yeah. So I was very blessed. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Um, last few questions here. How has the state of Indiana changed over the course of your lifetime? I think it's got very, very conservative. I think the it used to be the southern part of Indiana was Democratic stronghold, and now today I think rural America is solid Republican. Yeah, and that's been the biggest change that I've witnessed in my my lifetime as a politician watching elections in the state of Indiana. Yeah. Okay. How has the General Assembly changed over the course of your lifetime? You have a Republican majority in the Senate, in the House, and it's due to rural Indiana changing to be very conservative, and that's why... They have majority parties in the House and in the Senate. Right. Now, 
I guess you're growing up. You came from, uh, I guess, a fairly rural area, correct? Correct. Um, Very rural. So, why do you think that is? Why Why is rural India becoming so much more conservative than it used to be? Uh, one is the gun issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the number one issue that I can see. Okay. Uh, the gun issue. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, what enduring qualities do the people of Indiana still have or hold dear? Uh, honesty, integrity, just a bunch of wonderful people. Yeah. Uh, I just wouldn't want to trade Hoosiers for any other state. In the union. Yeah. Sure. Um, And what do you want Hoosiers to know about their influence in the function of the General Assembly? I think they have a huge influence. I think as long as they have a legislator that will represent their constituency, then this state's going to be better off. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. All right. Great. Well, is there anything else that um, I didn't ask about that you wanted to mention? No, Ben. I think you've done a very good job of asking questions. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I think it'll be another really interesting addition to the project. So. And Ben, if you have any other questions, feel free to call me back anytime, and I'll try to. Come up with an answer for you. Yeah, absolutely. I will definitely let you know. All right. All right, All right Ben. Thanks. Yeah, I will be in touch. Thank you again. You, you have a wonderful holiday. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.